Radio shows you love from the people you know. This is Sam Talks Technology. Hello and uh, thank you for joining us once again for Sam Talks Technology. Uh, I'm really excited once again to have a brilliant guest with me today. His name's Chris Ward. Uh, you may not know Chris because he's been behind the camera being uh, fairly successful with everything he's done. He's been a commercial charity campaigner for many years with things like Red Nose um, and he started uh, working with Friendry United, if any of you are old enough to remember that. Um, he describes himself, I think, as an author, a former entrepreneur, and now a campaigner, a father, and I call him a good old egg as well. Um, he's got his new book out. It's called Less Perfect, More Happy. Hello, Chris. How are you? Hi, Sam. I'm very good. Thank you. Thank you good. for having me. Yeah, pleasure. Now, um, we met many, many, many years ago when you kindly invited me to a Red Nose Day charity comic relief dinner which uh, uh, my liver still probably hasn't yeah. recovered from but thank you for that um this book that you've brought out uh, it's a fascinating read um why did you bring it out uh oh no let's start with a huge question um because the, i bought it out because um i discovered something about myself which i knew that was relevant to so many people being a success being what was called deemed a successful businessman, um, I struggled and underneath I didn't feel good enough and it caused me to behave and think in certain ways. And I know, and, and then on research, it's now an epidemic of not feeling good enough. And so I, although understanding it and researching it helped me and helped my marriage and my family and my relationships, I wrote the book because this just needs to be known by everybody. We have an epidemic of what is termed at this stage perfectionism and people still think it's a good thing um, and it's not and people need to really understand what perfectionism is and what society is doing to increase it. So but in the world that we live in aren't we bombarded through marketing and tv advertising to be the perfect thing isn't that what we're geared up to do today isn't that everything that everyone's achieving? It is. It, per perfection has become the bottom line of what you need to achieve just to be normal and um, just to be considered normal. And so that starts at school. Obviously, we, you know, the, the causes, we can go a lot about the causes later, probably. But, um, but yeah, society has developed so much that through school and social media and neoliberalism, which I know we'll talk about the Internet, just perfection has become standard. So for us, we're a bit older and we can sort of remember a time when that wasn't and feel slightly that that isn't the case but for young children for our children that is totally the case they need to achieve perfection at school they need to look right to be able to do anything um it's just it's the pressures on them of which they can't escape because of obviously mobile phones etc are just ridiculous now but if we don't achieve perfection what are the symptoms what are you seeing as the problems then of not achieving perfection which seems to be a natural, not an evolutionary thing, but, but, it, but if you don't achieve perfection, what problems are caused by that? Um, well, humans and, and didn't evolve to be perfect animals. We're not meant to be perfect. And, the, and society is demanding that now we are perfect. So what, literally what we're seeing, anxiety and depression is up by 48% in the last 10 years amongst young people. So it's near... 150 percent 
and then and we now have suicide death by suicide rising in men and particularly in students a ridiculous increase among students for the first time since why, 2013 why why students more so uh, because the pressure the pressure on high achieving school children <clears throat> is just now ridiculous but that we can uh, uh, you know we can have the very best students in britain and they might you know they've ended up at a very uh, top university bristol university has uh, i think more suicides death by suicide of their students and particularly boy students than any other university and because they don't they might get a 2-1 or they might get a b in an exam and they are made to feel they are not good enough which um, is crazy isn't it it is completely crazy because they're already the top one percent of intelligent clever successful people on earth on right. earth and then they get to the top half percent by getting an a or b in a top university and they're made to feel that they're a failure so um what in terms of outside of that environment what other symptoms are you seeing in the workplace or in children that that perfectionism is causing um so uh so I, so I knew I was a perfectionist at work, and, um, and we're probably going to the backstory of everything. Yeah. But um, perfectionism essentially, and um, make and it all has associated traits. All the associated traits that that um, you need to show to make something perfect are collectively known as OCPD, which is Obsessive Compulsive Personality Disorder, okay. which hardly anyone knows about. I was going to say, I've never heard of it until I read the no. book. So and, it, and it's ridiculous. You, you hear of OCD, so mm. what's the so difference? They're, so they're very different. So OCD, we know, the person knows they have OCD. They need things correct. David Beckham has OCD, and he needs all his cans of... Um, sport drink in his fridge all facing the front way that's the sort really? of thing we understand yeah okay but that's the sort of thing we understand of ocd ocd and and the person is aware of it ocpd you're not aware of you just think you're completely right all the time and you can't understand why that causes friction in all your argument in all your conversations or your work or your relationships so ocpd is if you need to achieve perfection then you need to be controlling you need to control you've made um, you've considered every variable before you've made a decision, so therefore you are right. Um, you're controlling, you're frugal because you need to save your money in case anything goes wrong, so you keep that there. Um, you have conflict in your relationships, you make decisions at the last minute because you've had to, which annoys everyone that you know, because you've had to consider every variable to make sure you're making the right decision. So it's those sort of, um, you see anorexia in young people, because it's a young person, it's, and particularly girls, it's the last thing you can control because everything out of your life is out of control and you don't feel you can achieve perfection at school or what you can buy and afford to wear. So therefore you want to control your body and trying to achieve the perfect body. So there's all sorts of symptoms all related to achieving perfection. Where did this all start? What caused this perfectionism in society? How did it all begin? Have we always been a yeah. society achieving perfection, or is there a point in time you think we started to get worse, or it inflected up? Well, I'll tell you my, so I'll tell you my story and then lead to where it, how yeah. it's got worse. So I, um, so I was, in fact, one of the worst times I was, um, I discovered this little website, Friends Reunited, when I was running a PR agency. My, I started my own PR agency 
and grew it. And then I saw this little bit in a computer mag about a new website. I thought, well, that's a great idea. And so I contacted them and we started doing the PR and, and Friends Reunited became this massive website. And when people were actually paying five pounds to subscribe to it, Ah, oh, no, now the, the reason we all did that, you've <laughs> got to remember the reason we did that. But, but everybody went onto that site for yeah. the very reason. Actually, you may be the fault. <laughs> I just realized it now. Because well, <laughs> I paid that fiver just to be able to check out whether I was better or worse than my schoolmates. That's yeah. all everyone ever did. Yeah. Well, like, well, the person who designed this book uh, met her husband through Friends Reunited from at school, back at right. school. But seven million people paid five quid. And, um, and when we were running the PR, we could see these stories sneaking through that, oh, it's good, we're reunited, reunited, reunited. Then the next thing we'd see, people complain, like, my husband's left me for their old school girlfriend, yeah. etc. We had a, we had a we, woman next door to us who left her husband and went back yeah. to her school sweetheart because of Friends Reunited. Yeah, yeah. Well, it happened a lot. And, and we thought, how are we going to manage this PR? And then the next, <laughs> and then three months later, the next thing was, oh, I met my old boyfriend on friends reunited and now i'm pregnant you've created a baby and so all these baby <laughs> stories started so it was a mad it was a mad time and i got and what um what's relevant to this is it was a really exciting time and obviously it made me successful we were working closely we won the pr campaign of the year um, it was the first really successful british website but at home my life was a nightmare um i just had a couple of uh, new kids and and I was battling with my wife and we were arguing all the time about different things um and I was going off on my bike more and more to escape and because I couldn't control my home it was out of control my mother-in-law was around all the time and I knew I was trying to prove everything to my dad that I was good enough and so this just made it even worse at work I could be defined by my job I could be successful it didn't matter I was the CEO of an agency called Beatwax the fact I was called Chris Ward was almost irrelevant by then. I was this CEO and I had lots of staff and they did what I said and I was successful. Meanwhile, I was at home and getting letters from the lawyers about trying to have a divorce and all this and a nightmare. And so that was part of my life. And, and then, you know, I carried on and, and I've always been aware of these three things. I argued with my wife that I was a perfectionist at work and I was doing things to prove to my dad I was good enough. And so I... So when I came to write this book, I wanted to write a book to, I wanted to write a book like every other aspirational book. Here's how to be successful when you've left school with nothing. And, um, and that's all the books are. And they're all based on lies essentially because behind the scenes there's a different story going on. And this is the other side of that story because while I was investigating and how did I actually become successful, I came across OCPD and that summed me up exactly. I was just trying to prove to my dad I was good enough and that controlled everything that I thought and everything that I did without realizing it. And, um, and that was because I was a 60s child and my dad was just a normal dad at the time. I'm not blaming him at all because that was parenting at the time as dads went out and got jobs and worked hard and earned the money for the, for the uh, family, gave housekeeping to their wife who bought the food and everything. And that, there was no time, he wasn't meant to be cuddling me and saying he loved me or anything. But I knew that I felt like I had to achieve to prove I was good enough did, to him to try and win that over. Did your dad set those uh, pressures on you in, in, to achieve and to... No, not at all. He just, there was no pressure to achieve. There was just, there was a, um, I felt like, you know, if we were good, 
he would read us a story when we were young kids. And if we weren't good, we would be sent to bed early. Just little, right. So you just, there was an inherent, you need to be good. You need to eat all your food. You need to work hard. You need to go and get a job. You need to go and do this. You know, Behavioral no, psychology. The good yeah, stuff was rewarded. Yeah. The bad stuff wasn't. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that was, and that's parenting books at the time. Um, and parenting books still similar to that now. Raising your children to, to always do better, really. Yeah. And and there's miscommunication, you know, if, if a child does well, it, there's a lot of miscommunication. A child can take that as love, you know, if you've done well done, well done, love. And if you haven't done well and you're told off, they can take that as not being loved. It's, you know, there's a lot of miscommunication that goes on. Um, but there's a beautiful photo in the book of you and your dad. Yeah, well, that was, um, you know, so part of me overcoming it, overcoming perfectionism, which I've now done, was, um, and it's, you know, just, he was riding, I grew up him riding a bike yeah. every Sunday. And I thought, who cares about that sort of thing? He's, I just want to eat my Sunday dinner. When's he going to be home for, for lunch? But when I sold Beatwax, the first thing I did, literally, in fact, I didn't say, I sold it. And then when I left, the first thing I did is literally go to an Evans bike shop and buy bike cycle gear. So I thought, right, now I'm going to cycle and prove. I've sold this company for a fortune. That wasn't good enough. I'm going to ride a bike and prove to him I'm good enough. But I'm sure your dad was proud about you selling the company, growing, selling. Probably, it. yeah, probably. I but still did he never tell it. you? No, not really. They sent me a card saying, "Well done." It sort of felt like it felt like oh, it's they, so English. Yeah. Well yeah. done, son. Congratulations, yeah, no. W. H. Yeah. Smith. There yeah, you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> still got it somewhere. Well, the worst one. I did a bike race. Blooming. I was 40 years old. I did my first bike race and I came second. Like unbelievable, unbelievable. And I thought, no one's going to understand this apart from my dad. And I was so excited to ring him. So I put the bike in the car and I stood by the car and I rang my dad and I said, you want? And mum answered the phone. I said, I'll speak to my, I'll speak to dad about it. And I said, I've just done this bike race. And I actually came second, unbelievable. And he goes, oh, probably the best riders weren't out today. <laughs> <laughs> I can laugh now at the time. I went home and cried my eyes out at 40 years old. Wow. So another, um, I've forgotten her Sorry, name now. I was talking do, about this. On before you do, for those who, because obviously this is uh, yeah. audio, not visual. The picture is of Chris and his dad, both in cycling gear. And you're giving your dad a hug in terms of your yeah. arms around him. Yeah. And, and so this it, is it's very yeah. poignant though. Sorry, Chris, which yeah. is our last ever cycle ride. Yeah. So my, um, so Sorry, my dad I had to, died. Had to no, explain I, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's um, so um, perfectionism grows far wider. It becomes part of who you are, not who you were born. It becomes part of who you are to achieve perfection. But I initially it was driven by my dad, and and obviously the cycling. And then so my dad got dementia, um, and he knew, when that picture's taken, he didn't know who I was. Oh, but okay. He knew he knew I was someone. That, um, that he rode with and he knew I was some sort of friend. So he would, he showed emotion for the first time, general emotion, um, whether that could be anger or cuddling, but he was, you know, proper father in this, when I knew him. Mm -hmm. And, um, but the, one of the big parts that helped me overcome that, obviously I felt I was not loved by him unless I achieved something, um, is he got dementia. He was in a really bad way. We used to go and see him. And, um, and then eventually it was skeletal and my mum called me on a Saturday morning and said, it's probably today I've had a call from the home that, you know, you need to come down. 
And so I drove, I was driving down and then my sister rang, she got there first and she said, are you coming? It's like, you know, he's not gonna be around for long. I was coming and coming and coming. And I got there and, um, and I walked in the room and he was really skeletal laying there and my mum and sister were there and I just went and kissed my dad on the head and just said, I'm here. Mm-hmm. I couldn't say I love you. And, and his breathing changed and he died within two minutes. And, um, and my sister was convinced and I, I'm convinced enough to know that that's, he, wait, he did wait for me and that was mm-hmm. his way of showing he loved me. And, you know, we literally never said it to each other. But that, you know, I obviously, again, cried my eyes out at that stage. Mm-hmm. It was a big moment that I knew that he had always loved me. And um, obviously he had. It's just, you know, when you're a young kid, you misunderstand so many things and society is telling you to be perfect. You don't know any different. And so, and that's what OCPD is. It gets into you to become a personality disorder that you're completely unaware of. You just need everything to be right, to try and make everything right, to make yourself feel right. Um, so that was, that was a big part of me overcoming it and then understanding it. I'll just finish off that yeah. type of thing. Is I, was, I ended up racing my bike at world championship, amateur world championship level. I went to Australia to compete. And my dad had died by this stage. And, um, and I was racing and just and around the other riders and they're just all totally obsessed perfectionists talking to me about bits of the bike that I didn't even know existed and I was in the world championships and just obsessed and lonely and I thought I don't need to do this anymore I literally I was in the race looking around everyone thinking I don't need to do this anymore and I've got a family I've got four kids I've got a wife I want to just be at home I want I need family. I need people now. I can see it. Whereas before I've been avoiding people and driving myself on my bike. And what age was that? That was was actually only about uh, 50, like five years, six years ago. Right. Um, And so that, yeah, that was the start of the end. Because you called the chapter in which you describe your, you know, your father dying, maintaining a stiff upper lip. Yeah, because we still, um, you know, you, you still couldn't say I love you. You know, and that's what I was brought up on, stiff upper lip, which is so many people obviously brought up on mm. stiff upper lip, particularly men um, struggle with that. And there's been lots of books about that. And that is, that essentially is saying that showing emotions is a weakness. Yeah, and men men don't yeah, cry. No. And it's, and it's, again, you know, I've told you already twice that I've cried. <laughs> I had to take out other times when I cried. I was told there was too many in there. Um, no, I, 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 ever since I lost both my parents, when my mother died, um, I never cried before my mother died. And right. I, I became an absolute bucket uh, after, you know, little yeah. things. And, you know, I've lost my father since. And very much like you, you know, uh, with my mother, she waited. I held her hand and then she passed right. away. And I yeah. firmly believe, you know, she waited. Um, yeah. So very, yeah. very similar. But yeah. now, yeah, I'm very emotional. I, it, maybe maybe that younger man like you who yeah. was told never to, I, I was an army officer. Yeah. I wasn't, yeah, I was, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. you don't cry. You, you get on with it, yeah. son, you know, yeah. pull yourself together and all that. Yeah. Uh, and well, now, I, write yeah. Hu- I write hugely in the book about I'd become someone else that I wasn't. And it was when I, um, so I left school with nothing. I got a job in a boots, the chemist for three years. I worked, I went to art college for one year they were all arty and so cool and i wasn't so out of place um so i got a job in a boots and um and then i got a job at the bbc uh, in the record library just by writing to every radio station they said you can come and file records on the record shelf on the shelves so i went to london and i realized that 
I was an idiot. I knew nothing. All I knew was music that I loved. So I just kept all conversation to music and I became the best at the job. And I realized people liked me because I did the best at the job and they seemed to be taking me seriously. As I put in the book, they were like drinking Beaujolais Nouveau and going to the theater. And I was reading Star Trek magazines and <laughs> watching whatever the equivalent of Stranger Things or something at the time. So I felt so out of place that I created this perfectionist character that just, that just carried on because it was doing well. And, and so I just hid the real me, was this little kid underneath. And when we were doing counseling at one stage, that was the only counselor who ever came up with anything, was like, can't you listen to each other as if you're children rather than it's coming out of the mouths of your children, not each other. If your children showed they were concerned or angry, annoyed, you wouldn't just shout at them and tell them to go away. You would try and find out what the cause was. And that inside, inside most of us is this little child carefree, carefree of having to achieve perfection. And that's what I've discovered and allowed to come out now and of which we all need to allow to come out because otherwise that's what's causing the rise in anxiety and depression because we're all trying to be something that we're not, that no human was meant to be. Perfect. Isn't that more because we want to be accepted by society? What, by being perfect? Or by, by perceived being... to be perfect. Yeah. Oh yeah, completely. Yeah. And, and as we said before that, you know, in the tech world now, it's just unless you sell your company for the biggest amount or you're the first to market, then that isn't even good enough. The, yeah. the level of perfection has become so high that it's unachievable that no one, like when you're connected on social media to uh, Kim Kardashian or, or all the top names, no one can feel good enough after that. No one. And, and we all know it's curated perfection. But a child doesn't know that, that that's curated perfection. Yeah. And no one can feel good enough. You, it's impossible to feel good enough. And again, as we said earlier, unless you're a unicorn billionaire. So we all discuss unicorn billionaires as if it's achievable. When how many are we talking? <laughs> like 15 in the entire world ever. Yeah. And so, but we all, all the entrepreneurs, everyone, you know, when I was an entrepreneur, it was Richard Branson. who was like the only person and, um, that people looked up to. And, and that was my driver, my parents, oh, he's like Richard Branson, blah, blah, blah. But now there's like these 15 ultra billionaires in the world. And we all feel we, we're going to do that with our next idea. It's probably, you know, which is probably as daft as thinking you're going to win the lottery every week, really. There's yeah. no, it's not good enough just to be good enough at the moment. You've got to be perfect or the best just to be good enough. Yeah, I mean, I call it fake book and, uh, you know, and... Yeah fundamentally as you said it's a curated life but also uh, when I watch you've got girls and I've got girls and when I watch them you know they're, they're doing pouty poses and they're putting filters on that and then it's just you know and yeah. it, it's scary that you know yeah. uh, I think Davina McCall in your book his reference and she goes she did 72 selfies you know yeah or the are. 73rd one was yeah the one to do yeah yeah and um the yeah, and that's been happening to young people for the last, whatever, 10 years. And only now, probably over the last year, some YouTubers and celebrities are coming out and talking about their mental health. Obviously, mental health is becoming a bigger and bigger conversation. And the selfie, the perfectionism thing, using real-life models is is definitely all good. But it's like we've, we've done it for 10 years now, of solid perfection everywhere you look, for, especially for a young child. And it is horrible to see. You know, as you say, uh, our daughters are good-looking, happy people. And that, that was another of my drivers. Is I've seen all my girls, 
particularly, I've got a boy as well, who really happy with school and loved going to school when they were younger. And I did, you know, until they told me I had to stop wearing shorts, got to wear long trousers and start learning about Pythagoras theorem. But uh, our girls Which are just more- you've used more, every day, of course. Yeah, yes. But the girls are just taught, you know, you know, they loved it, but then they taught you've got to compete with your friends and you've got to not just compete in the classroom, what you look like. Are you invited to all these parties? If you're not invited here, you can see that where everyone is on Snapchat, that they're all at the party having a good time. And you see the unconditional happiness dropping out of their lives where they become more concerned and stressed and anxious about everyday life, which is yeah, hugely sad to see and needs to stop. Did did the work that you did with comic relief given you must have seen some pretty horrible behind the scenes stuff from africa and around the world or even in this country did that have a major impact on on the way you think in terms of up until that point you were the successful pr agent life was good you're the successful family man you know, yeah. you're a high achieving sports person did did what you saw have an impact do you think on changing your opinion but um but two things a um i i started was before i was an entrepreneur ran my own company so what i said went so i didn't realize how bad the situation was because i knew i was right and i could tell people who i believed i was right and they would do what i said and when i went to comic relief where i was one of five directors right with a ceo rather than just owning my own company i struggled with that because there isn't a right way to change the world and i struggled to suddenly we were listening to people that i thought hadn't considered every single variable so why the hell are we wasting our time listening to these people and um so that was a struggle um but and then on the others completely the other side um i went to africa several times and in fact so um I went on an orphanage where I saw these kids in this orphanage who have nothing at all, but were happier and more content than I was and that my children were. And they had nothing. All they had, literally the only thing they had, but it was the most important thing in the world, was community. They were just hanging off of each other, having a laugh, walking around, enjoying simple relationships, which we didn't seem to have. Everything got in the way of that. And then at the same time, I read this book, um, which I've got the Continuum Concept by Gene Leadloff, which is about the fact that humans evolved to be, you know, we've, we didn't evolve to be these working machines, essentially. We evolved to just be loved animals. And, like, and, and it's, it's weird to talk like this as a male these days because it's, it's oh, what are you talking about? And it's too deep or you don't talk that. We just work and successful and more happy. When in fact not, we're just, you know, when we're born, we should just be, plonk straight on a mother's chest and we should stay there for two years which is what happens in places that haven't developed essentially and um you know and you, and you sleep with your parents and you're fed when you need to be fed and then you crawl after your mum if you're a girl crawl after your dad if you're a boy and and you grow up rounded-ish and whereas here we go you're born immediately you're born you're invariably not even put on your mother's chest you're put in you're checked out totally first and then you come home you put in your pink bedroom your blue bedroom you're fed at seven o'clock eleven o'clock and one o'clock irrespective if you're crying in between and then if you're crying when you're out here's the mobile phone play with that while i'm busy talking to my friend and that so you're just all all i'm going to say about the conclusion and not blaming anyone at all because society's just created perfect parenting as much as we've created perfect entrepreneurs and perfect sports people perfect parenting involves you has told you to do these things 
Um, but the child is already on the back foot about their confidence. By the time they're two or three, am I really totally loved? Because whenever I cry to get, because I'm hungry, all I'm crying is hungry. Well, all I'm crying is because I want to be picked up by my mum. I don't get food for another two hours or I get given a mobile phone screen. And it's just so that's in there from an early age that's in there. So it's not so. And, and the biggest way that most people sort that out is by shopping. That's why shopping is so huge because we've created brands that tell you you'll feel better if you buy that brand. So most people, that's why I live near Westfield, the biggest shopping center in the whole of the world, I think. And it's packed. We could go now, whatever time it is and whatever day, and it will be packed with people buying stuff to make themselves feel better. Um, so yeah, so that's so that was the things I learned in Africa really, which made a huge issue and comic relief. I knew that there was something wrong that I was struggling to deal with other people on a normal level. It was the first time it really flagged up to me, and um, and then to go to Africa and see that actually there was a very different way of child rearing that felt more natural and actually was leading to more contented children that didn't need to buy products and didn't need to have their own bedroom and didn't need to have all perfect parenting products. So at what age did you then have your epiphany moment and realize that actually my, yeah. my, my seeking perfectionism, as I said to you earlier, the, the forefathers of America had worked out it was life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness, not the pursuit of yeah. money, not the pursuit of perfection or whatever. No. Um, and people so often forget that. I often quote, you know, and ask people to finish that sentence and nobody gets happy. No. Most people no. get, put no. money there. When yeah. did you when did you find that moment? Because look again, going back to reading the book and um, and what you've said, you know you, you're you're a high achiever. You've, you're doing well. Um, yes, you said that there was problems at home, but that was a cause of your perfectionism. But you may not have seen it as a cause of your perfection. You may have seen it as another reason that, that things aren't going well. Um, or was it the fact that in work everyone did what you said and at home they didn't do what you said? Yeah, maybe. well, yeah. Maybe that, yeah. maybe that was the yeah, problem. That was um, a problem. You know, darling, I want my dinner now. You'll get yeah. it yourself. Um, yeah. uh, but what age do you think, or was it a slow realisation that, that this was your problem? Or was it, was it a moment, and I, I, again, I, I'm, I'm getting slightly personal, was it a moment when your wife divorced you and you went, shit, what is, what is wrong with my yeah. life? I don't know. Was Just, that a breaking moment of perfectionism? Um, the, uh, well, we didn't divorce, luckily, because oh, actually okay. that would have been the, and that's what I'm trying to stop, because perfectionism being unknown and OCPD being unknown is causing, causes relationship conflicts entirely. And the understanding of this would save so many relationships, friendships, family relationships, marriages. Um, and as we were saying before that, um, you know, success is meant to be for business and it's become about being for humans and it sh was never meant to be about being humans humans should be about happiness and businesses are about success but it's crossed over and merged in um i think mine was um you know when i sat down to write the book was the final epiphany when i discovered what ocpd actually is and how unknown it is that was totally an epiphany that it as i said the controlling that all or nothing everything is all or nothing the frugal the arguments in my relationships trying to prove myself to my dad it that was it was a big epiphany moment for me and um, and in fact my wife said first thing she said to me is oh do you feel like you're going to apologize now um because it, it just she knew that it it uh, was behind all my thinking all my behavior for the last <laughs> for the whole of my life 
Um, and it changed this book from being about the story, like everyone else's story, how I'm successful, how you can be successful, how I'm number one, how you can be number one. So actually what is the other, literally the other 50%, that's only 50% of anyone's story. And I would struggle to think that anyone has been successful without serious issues underneath that somewhere. Um, and this is, as I've put, put in the book, this is that often other side of the story, often untold other side of the story, what goes on behind the scenes. So when you found that epiphany moment, you, you, you decided that you're going to write a book. Where did you start? What did you, most people say, I want to write a book, but writing a book's not easy. So what did you do? Did you sit down and start to document your life and then review it and then say, actually, yeah, I think I can write a book. Or, or was it a case of, I feel I need to do something because I've worked out my stuff. Yeah. Now I want to tell everyone how this could be for them. Was yeah. it cathartic for you with the book or was it a, I've done my cathartic moment. I've done my thinking. I've done my chat. Yeah. Now let me tell everyone else. Yeah. Uh, no, I hadn't done enough of the thinking because, well, okay. because I immediately, I was sat down to write this book to inspire kids and then realized that that wasn't the book. The, I was a perfectionist and people needed to understand what that really is. But at the same time, I hadn't really totally understood it myself. So this, this whole process has taken three years. And, but the first year was me rewriting what I'd written as I was learning more about me. And then I scrapped all of that and started again when I really totally understood it. So I've talked to tons of experts and there isn't, there's hardly any good books about perfectionism. The best one is from about 1994. And, um, and it's probably because perfectionists find it really hard to finish a book. So that's probably why there's hardly any books about perfectionism. But I've done all my research, um, talked to lots of sufferers and parents of young children and sufferers, entrepreneurs, business leaders. There's lots of case studies in the book. Um, famous people, well-known people, discovering lots of well-known people that have died by suicide who have uh, identified themselves as perfectionists and, and had relationship issues. So that did all of that and had learned about myself but then it's been this yeah people need to know about this and the book is set out through my life from the age of four really going back it starts in uh, marriage counseling when we split up first time and um and then go flashes back in a way from four five six up to into my 50s of something i've done each year uh which is related to a perfectionist act um and then it's got the the sort of the collated views of the experts I've spoken to of what is the symptom of perfectionism on show here or what is the cause of perfectionism that has come from this story so they're just individual stories 50 of them roughly uh, and then which hopefully most people can relate to because it's at work being an entrepreneur it's on my bike it's in my marriage it's being a parent it's being a child it's sort of the life stages that most of us will go through and um, um, what I did at the time and why I understand now that that was dictated by my perfectionism rather than who I really was. Yeah. I mean, so after you, it, the latter part of the book, cause I want to get on to some other points you start to talk about, which I find really encouraging. You start to talk about failing and learning and you talk about, you know, achieving success without perfection. Um, and, and you talk about less perfect, more scale. So is that where you are now? You're in this world where, you've you've addressed all the issues and now you're happy to keep going and learning but perfection 
perfectionism is no longer, or, or are you like an alcoholic, a suffering perfectionist? Yeah. I, think, you know, uh, I think, well, I've finished this book, so almost that's the, uh, I'd say that's uh, the biggest sign on, I'm over I've got, to I've got to tell a story. He finished the book, then he opened the page and went, there's a, there's a thing in here that I didn't expect. So you were still yeah, being... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but at least I got it out and published. Yes, well um, done. But uh, I forgot what the question was now. So well, the question is... Yeah, well, the question is, are you, are you a recovering perfectionist? Uh, someone who's, you know, dealing and managing yeah. with OCPD? Or, or is it a case of you can get beyond it now? It's, it's, yeah. you, know, you don't care anymore. It's just you, 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 you yeah. can happily accept failure yeah. uh, but oh, be successful. Yeah. So there's two, two parts. First one is there's, uh, there's some booklets attached to the book, little A6 booklets about how to overcome perfectionism and, and a 12-step process. Um, because it is like being an alcoholic to some extent and being an, an addict of some type addicted to perfection um, so there's a process in there and also you know when you're uh, and so generally I have overcome it and so I don't have to control anything I don't have to um, correct my children all the time I can I want to work with other people perfectionism stops you being happy because it's all about the results it's not about the process whatsoever the process is irrelevant you can't fail in that process so it's all about achieving success so you put off friendships and you and you're um what's the word you're always distracted and so anyone who comes to talk to you whether that's a work colleague or your kids when you get home you're distracted and so you're missing out on their childhood because your mind is elsewhere so i've stopped doing all those things which is brilliant and um and our, my life is much better our home life is much happier um because dad isn't just being this hard nose I'm busy achieving dad but in the book um so I've uh, you know in the book there's seven stories seven of the chapters of where I've had success like with friends reunited or I was in the world championship cycling uh, I cycled up a mountain six times in a day and became the oldest Britain to do that or I've worked with big names red nose day creating three red noses so I create red nose day had one red nose and when I got there they said this used to sell 10 million now it sells 6 million you know what you're the new creative director of comedy relief what are you going to do about that so so, so about two seconds later, I said well why don't we have three noses instead of one so the people that buy one might buy three and they're going oh yeah 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 so after all these meetings all these people that I thought at the time had no validity to discuss this because they didn't hadn't thought of it through but I sat there and listened to everyone realized how rubbish I am now but um we did three red noses and it and the sales went up to 10 million again and and forevermore comment relief always has more than one red nose so there's no perfectionism involved in that whatsoever it's just a simple idea thinking through the process and coming with it i didn't have to miss dinner i didn't have to shout at my kids i didn't have to be distracted it's just a simple idea and um but that still didn't stop me working all night all day thinking about it all night and all day and it's only in reflection that you think that didn't need all my none of the success I've had in my life is related to perfectionism and I thought it was so all the working if you work excessive hours you become less productive invariably these days now when you have minimal viable product you're missing out on the opportunity and that's what Steve Jobs obviously a famous perfectionist in this book and also his daughter is in this book because that's a major perfectionist situation where he denied her knowledge he denied she existed as his daughter because as she saw it, it would have made him appear not perfect. Um, but he, he was, you know, he's had huge success, but he would 
spend years and years perfecting a product while other people releasing other stuff in between, which is now what Facebook sort of do, release something, reiterate, release something. Whereas perfectionism makes you think, I'm not releasing this. And so it causes failure more than it causes success, in fact, because you're working too hard, less productive, and miss the opportunity. Um, so yeah, so there's seven stories in here about how to achieve simple things like simple communication. You know, it's obvious, but a perfectionist likes to include every single detail known to man. And that's still one of my hard problems I have to come in. My press release for this might be three pages long. Well, I need to get it down to half a page. What right. actually is it just about? Like rattling on now should be just a simple answer. You're not rattling. I'm enjoying the story. Yeah. Um, one of the one of the two fascinating chapters in the book, I, I think, because it resonates well with me, is you wrote uh, Good Enough Partner. You had a conversation with your wife, Helen. Yeah. Was that... Was that uh, something that you felt you had to sit down and do to repair the relationship or what, what was the basis of that? Um, it was uh, the basis originally was to help my understanding of OCPD. These were what, you know, I'd read and what I, un I understood as being my character traits caused by perfectionism. As I said, all or nothing controlling, you know, distracted, etc. And so I wanted to see what she thought about that and whether they impacted on our relationship, whether it was right. And it, as you'll see in the book, totally right and spot on and, you know, and, um, you know, not liking small talk because it's gossip. You're gossiping behind someone's back. Therefore you're not, you're living a lie when you see that person. Perfectionists don't even like doing that. Whereas my wife likes doing that. And, um, so it's just, so yeah, that was the basis of that conversation. And then I think also out of that, you know, she realized that some of that she was a perfectionist in, in a very different way it's very all or nothing that's what a lot of people don't understand they think you know my room or my house is a tip therefore i'm not a perfectionist if you don't think you can achieve perfection in something you invariably don't want to know about it at all so you're happy to live in a tip but you might work 23 hours a day on your job or i might ride my bike for 23 hours a day literally and not care about money i don't care about money and nor does my wife so therefore we struggle to who's going to manage the money so in this booklet is actually a relationship guide to um to perfectionism if you're if you're both a perfectionist or one of you and you both want to be all about something who's gonna, who actually is going to do that how are you going to compromise when you can't compromise or if you're both nothing about something then who's going to do it like we're me and my wife both nothing about money so who pays the bills neither of us want to worry about that and look into it because we know it means looking in is this gas bill fair and so yeah. a perfectionist is going to look into that and the empty <clears> degree and then argue about it and feel like, uh, and so I don't want to go there. She doesn't want to go there either. So we struggle with that bit. Ideally in a marriage or any relationship, you have someone who's a perfectionist about one thing and nothing about the other and vice versa. But, um, but that causes, you know, we were both perfectionists about childcare and that caused the biggest issue in our relationship. We both needed to parent our children that would have made our own parents proud of us. And so essentially we were trying to marry our parents to each other which is the last thing on earth, because that's essentially what was happening in our relationships. There was my 60s English parents from suburbia, and there was Helen's uh, Greek parents from Cyprus, who couldn't be more different from each other. And we were <coughs> using essentially their thoughts, their conversation, because we needed to impress them by parenting our own kids. And that causes yeah. more conflict than anything else whatsoever. Um, and that, uh, you know, I'd encourage people to, really understand that that is behind it because if you can understand that 
and then just compromise or deal with it or agree with it, know it's happening, then that can save so many relationships. Yeah, I, I'm not going to spoil it. I think everyone should buy the book, but there is a lovely line that you wrote a letter to your children. I'm just going to read the last line. I love you. I always loved you. I always will love you. I am sorry. The perfectionism it caused has almost gone. It's time we had some fun, Dad. Yeah. That well, was, just, it must have been hard to write that letter. Yeah, and I and I talked it through with them, but I realised what I'd been like, and um, and I, you know, they probably knew that, but they questioned, you know, I know the question was in their mind because I would, it had to be because it was in my mind with my own father. I was just like him, just crap at showing it, basically, and um, yeah, of which so many parents are crap at genuinely showing it now you've started a website where people can go to to start the 12-step guide yeah. where, what's the url uh it's friendfulness.com so we have mindfulness and um, there's actually an article from the new york times in one of the booklets that's free with the book um that there's all i'm not a fan of mindfulness because the thing perfection takes you away from people being being yourself with other people is the ultimate happiness if you can be yourself so therefore it's genuine friendships basically and relationships if you can be yourself with other people that's genuine happiness but perfection you can't be yourself because you're pretending to be someone else and you're obsessed about achieving success so that they're like you so you don't uh, commit with other people and um, and so there's an article in uh, from the new york times which says that however many mindfulness apps which already take you're already alone in your mind anyway and then that takes you alone even further whereas the answer is just go down the pub go down to a coffee shop with friends more than go on a mindful retreat we need that more than anything so unbelievably friendfulness.com was available in every version of it so I'm just it's just a place it's just the domain name for the book but um you know i want to encourage people to almost hold friendfulness gatherings friendful gatherings to be with each other allow each other to be uh, themselves not judge not compete not like go to a dinner party and say oh how big is you how good your car and blah 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 yeah but just to be genuine and it sort of doesn't happen too often in the world the church does it and probably does it really well but for people that don't believe in religion there's there is hardly any forum for this to happen so it's just trying it's just basic friends you know having friendships which you had when you were a kid in the playground and all that and just bringing that back that that's what life and happiness is really all about I'm surprised you didn't call it friends united hey. <laughs> <laughs> that would have brought the full yeah, circle yeah. back <laughs> i'm seeing them next week actually there's the Stephen Stephen julie who uh who essentially were the story of friends united they're still doing well they they're um brilliantly unchanged people they still live in the same house in barnet and that did phenomenally well, that website. And um, so I love them that they remain unchanged totally by uh, the success that they had. Brilliant. Now, um, the book's out, it was yesterday on Amazon. Um, you're going to be touring this book, I guess. Um, what is the one thing that you've taken away from the book? I mean, obviously the book itself, let's remind people, is called uh, A Life Less, uh, Less Perfect, More Happy, How to Overcome Perfectionism. If you wanted one thing from this book, what is it? For people to understand what OCPD is or for people to understand that perfectionism is, well, a mental disease that, that, that people need to look into? I mean, what, is, yeah. what is it you would like people Just, to take away with this, really? 
so that because people when they go for an interview you know it's still that age-old question what's your worst thing weren't you I'm a bit of a perfectionist that yes that is the worst thing <laughs> a bit of a perfectionist that irony answer needs to disappear that would be a good thing to happen people need to understand so my thing is yes to re for people to really understand what perfectionism really is and it's really not feeling good enough and trying to prove you are by making things perfect and people need to understand that so ideally you know and that's not going to happen just in a podcast because it's ingrained in people since almost their early years and so so yeah my book hopefully explains that and helps people understand that um so that's my main thing really to understand that it is far more to it than you think it is and in a world where we're now living in a perfectionist society that demands perfection we need to deal with this because we already have what has been classed by the world economic forum a mental health epidemic around perfectionism and no one still no one's really talking about it so how bad is it going to get so understand that there's more to perfectionism go and google now ocpd and if that's you then look more into it because that's what happened to me and and it's changed my life you know in my mid 50s i've become far more happier in a happier home and don't feel i have to achieve something just to be happy or to feel loved chris ward thank you so much you're the author former entrepreneur uh, campaigner and i'd say now former yeah. perfectionist as well yeah Yes, former perfectionist. Cheers, Sam. Thank you very much, Chris. Good luck with it. Cheers. Thank you, Sam. That show was amazing. To listen again, please visit our website, marlofm.co.uk, or visit our Facebook group, Sam Talks Technology. And now you can subscribe on iTunes. Never miss a show again. See you next week. Same time, same place.